Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Irina Skortu. Irina is a software architect, a Microsoft MVP, and a .NET group community lead at Endava. Welcome, Irina. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so before we kind of get into the meat of things, would you give our listeners maybe a little introduction to yourself? Like, you know, tell them how you got started in the industry. Well, in the industry, it was uh, strange how uh, I got started. Um, I uh, After I graduated high school, I had a math informatics profile and then uh, naturally was uh, computer science. Even though two days before I uh, went to the actual university, I wanted to do law school. <laughs> Not that many people know uh, this about me, but I just switched uh, in a second and turned out, turned out to be a developer in the end. <laughs> <laughs> very cool, very cool. I do not regret the decision, though. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, what, what, uh, what do you work on these days? Where, what, do you, what are you doing? So these days, um, take, I'm presenting at conferences. I teach .NET for uh, people that want to try a different career. Um, they're, I don't know, into economics or something like that, and they want to try programming. I help them um, into going to .NET. I try to convince them actually to try .NET because .NET was my technology of choice. Uh, in um, faculty because I hated Java. Don't say that. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. At work, I'm a software architect, taking care of different projects and also of our wonderful uh, community uh, inside the company worldwide. Uh, our company has a lot of headquarters across the world and I have uh, cool people that I work with. Uh, learning new stuff, presenting stuff, and driving the direction for the company around .NET. Oh, very cool. I saw recently that you were a guest on the .NET Docs show on, on Twitch and discussing things about REST APIs and, and also blogging about the, those types of topics. You want to give maybe just a, a brief introduction of, of maybe how you got interested in REST APIs and, and what what the conversation is uh, around REST? With REST APIs, uh, I remember I encountered the term, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, and it seems so utterly complicated. Like REST, what is that? Uh, and when I started to, on my first job, I started to, to do APIs and I suddenly was interested, hey, what was REST about, really about <laughs> And I started to read and when I progressed with the APIs that I was doing, I noticed that a lot of people have the tendency to say that their API is REST, just like that, without having anything to do with REST as a concept. I read a lot around REST and around HTTP and I learned a lot of stuff, useful stuff, that now if I, I, I look back, I think that are in a way common sense. 
but nobody was there to tell me, hey, this is basic. Hey, this should be done like that. So uh, it was a, a struggle for me at a certain point to really understand REST. And I noticed that a lot of developers have that, that struggle because there are no clear guidelines. Hey, you need to do this and that and that and that. So experience, I think, uh, helps. Yeah, it's, uh, I remember uh, several years ago, it was, it was a heated discussion anytime REST came up because everybody was like, well, you're not, you're not doing REST the right way. Everybody had their own right way to do it. And then lately, it seems like all of that confrontation, at least in the companies that I've worked with and for, uh, has kind of dropped away. And it's more just, oh, you have an API. You're using HTTP methods, post, put, get, delete. Oh, it's REST. It's cool. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, I usually refer to those as RESTful or REST-ish. Because inevitably, especially if you're working in an existing code base, maybe you're you're experiencing RPC with JSON. Maybe you're executing something on the server and you just happen to be using HTTP verbs to execute some task. And even those verbs, I remember I was not using the proper verbs, verbs for the proper operation. And it was somehow like a, like a trend mm. back then, <laughs> 10 years ago. Pretty much kind of all young developers were pretty much doing the same thing. Yeah, so I wondered if we could maybe either get like a pretty good basic definition for those RESTful APIs and may, or maybe conversely, uh, what some of those like big misses that you most commonly saw and both maybe in your own or in other people that you've interacted with. I will say I, I did those mistakes myself. I mean, <laughs> I started from there. Um, first, there are the namings. So naming the endpoints. Um, mm. I've seen, and I also did it at a certain moment. I named my endpoints with get something, like API slash get something. Well, if you use the proper verb, you shouldn't have the actual verb in the in the endpoint. Should be somehow self-explanatory by the way you are using the verbs. Another thing is verbs and the proper verbs i mean some people are using post for updates and they are checking on the server side hey this has a parameter that has a value name id then it must must be an update so they do like that and they use get and post and that's it <laughs> when they should be using what put put correct exactly okay. yeah yeah we're not talking about patch. Patch is a different thing, but at, <laughs> at least at least put to to okay. distinguish the operations. Um, another thing is around status codes. Okay, and there are so many of them. So many of them useless. <laughs> I have to admit, but at at least we should use more than five, more than four hundred, four hundred and four, and two hundred. Okay, there is created, which means which is 201, that should be returned um, as a response, as a status code for an operation that creates something. People don't use that. Devs uh, or the dev world uh, is looking at REST as something like is there for granted. And luckily, if you work in .NET, uh, you have a lot of tools already there for you. You just need to push the right buttons to, to obtain a RESTful API. As restful as you can get. At least. Sure, sure. I'm still looking for a reason to use 418. Do you know that one? That one with the T? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a teapot. 
I would expect that I could probably slip that in as maybe a fun little Easter egg, but I, I'm not sure that I would use it or, or get an opportunity to use it in, in a, a real case. I don't think that all of them are useful, but at least, um, I don't know, the most part of those 63 are very self-explanatory and those should be used. So I shouldn't be returning my errors with 200? Nope. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> you shouldn't do that because you will confuse the consumer of your API. It doesn't matter who's your consumer. <laughs> We've got an old API that does that, that returns 200 with an error, with an error object. Just a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, maybe I was interacting with a third party API that was processing payroll data and processing information for the core of this business that would return 200 okay with an error code in the body that you would then have to decipher and read in. Like You're making it very difficult for your customers. And for yourself, if you want to debug. Yeah. <laughs> and for your team, if you have QA, you have testers, you'll confuse them. Actually, if it's okay, it's okay. You should have a good body. If it's not okay, then it's really not okay. And you should have errors and... Um, the proper status code, right? I think uh, developers should be more uh, mindful and should care more about their consumers uh, <laughs> and should code with this in mind, their APIs. We have to put ourselves in our consumer's position. <laughs> if you do not know anything about that API, there should be something in there to tell you what's wrong or not <laughs> and should be uh, descriptive. Does that include releasing good documentation with your API? Do you use something like Swagger or the Open API specification? Or uh, do you release additional documentation with APIs? Or, or would you recommend doing that? I would definitely recom recommend using Swagger. Uh, they now in .NET 5, they included uh, <laughs> this awesome tool uh, developed by the community. In, it's in Visual Studio. It's in there in the project template. Um, but some additional documentation, I don't think it's necessary because if you do the endpoints properly, uh, it's there, it's self-documented in a way. I've even used tools or some of the offerings through the cloud providers like in, in Azure, the API management gateway that'll read your, your XML, read your, uh, read your Swagger specification and put together a pretty UI that you can grant access to the consumers of your API, a, a login and a place to test in some in a sandbox type fashion. I find that that's really useful to get some early quick feedback from those those early adopters that are wanting to consume your API. True. And it removes the tedious work that we we would have done <laughs> in the earlier days. I mean, I do not miss the the soap, the whistle stuff. Yeah, well, and, and some of that, some of that feeling, not not exactly the same, but some of that feeling is going to be coming back with the uh, the gRPC stuff, though, right? Like that, you know, like here is a here is a big, huge documented uh, object structure that you're going to be using to communicate with this API endpoint for, you know, binary responses and yada, yada, yada. It's, I imagine we'll, we'll do gRPC for a little while and then there will be gSOAP. <laughs> and then and then and then Google will come out with this amazing new thing. It'll be JSON, and then we'll all switch to that. <laughs> and and we've got a question in chat over on Twitch, and that was kind of in line with with some of the questions that I was going to have or, or have for you 
of kind of best practices on putting together your APIs. Uh, we, we talked about status codes and, and naming conventions and those types of things. Uh, I've seen different recommendations for when you're creating a resource versus when you're updating a resource. And if you if you're creating a resource, do you return that created resource? Do you return a path to that newly created resource? Do you have continuation tokens? Do you have pagination in, in lists and things like that? Do you have any recommendations or, or best practices on defining and designing APIs? Um, I have a lot. <laughs> uh, we could talk uh, for hours. Uh, when it comes to creating something, uh, I usually return the newly created entity because it will contain also the ID that was assigned by either programmatically, either by the database and the ORM that you are using. Um, and I have the lo specific location for the, the entity the URL uh, added in header and in a header called location. That is a property that will contain the actual newly created entity. Uh, when it comes to pagination, it's up to you what you use uh, because a pagination on a resource, on a collection, um, it's nothing more than adding a, an extra parameter or two parameters in there after uh, in the query string of the URL. So basically, uh, it's up to you how many you take at once from the database, how you are doing uh, skip take and so on to, to return the, the data. Other recommendations around versioning, at least I'm trying to, to, to mention every time I can, do not version uh, in the URL, in the path of the URL, because every time you have a new version, you will need to change that URL and cool URIs don't change, somebody said uh, on Twitter a while ago. At least what you can do is to add the version as a query string parameter or in the header of the request. And this way you'll know for sure that if you have an endpoint for a specific resource, that endpoint will be there in the same form, no matter what the version is. Either one, either 100. The endpoint itself will be, will be the same and you won't break the, the existing consumers. What if you need to, to deprecate an endpoint or deprecate a previous version? You know, we're, we're going through the, the motions that it seems like there's a lot of moving parts these days. There's a lot of new and exciting technologies coming out. So we, we need to put together some kind of deprecation scheme for, for our applications, right? So we need to know that we can, say, turn off a previous version if it's too drastically different from newer versions or we're no longer providing that feature. Do you have any guidance or, or do you have any recommendations on, on how one might handle that? When it comes to marking something as being deprecated, you cannot just go there and say, hey, this is deprecated. Hey, my consumers don't use this. There needs to be a time that passes to... To force in a in a way all your consumers to move to the next version, but the same using the same package, you can annotate your uh, controllers with version and mark as deprecated. And what it will do in whenever a request comes in, uh, a header property will be there, uh, API deprecated version and the version number in there. 
So in a way, you're just announcing your consumers that, hey, this is kind of deprecated. You should uh, increase your numbers, something like that. But when it comes to breaking your clients because you suddenly decide to put something to rest, a version to rest, it's up to you how you, you do that. And also it's up to you if you can force your consumers to um, increase the version that they're using or not, if you own your consum- consumer or not. Thankfully, a lot of the applications that I work on are the, the APIs that are being produced are consumed internally uh, within line of business applications or, or something like that. So we can get away with, okay, now we are doing a massive upgrade. These are the new versions of the APIs. These are the new the new endpoints, the new shapes of the data that are expected in and out and, and you know, handle that accordingly. But as systems grow and become more complex and you have more departments consuming those APIs, and I think it's it's probably maybe a little bit better to to have that discussion up front and to have that plan going forward. That's why um, GraphQL is, people are bragging <laughs> uh, GraphQL because they're um, somehow giving the flexibility um, to the client. But also at the same time, even in GraphQL, they need to uh, take care of of these kind of deprecations of their APIs. No matter what you do, you cannot get rid of it. Yeah, I was going to ask about things like OData and GraphQL. Those, I guess, are different enough from REST that we we wouldn't even consider them REST-ish or RESTful. Um, but they, they certainly have a place in the ecosystem for endpoints that can be called or consumed or utilized in our applications. Are there concerns there that we need to to incorporate when we're designing APIs or, or designing a broader system? Um, for sure, um, they have their places in our t- uh, toolbox. What I would say that I wouldn't recommend using GraphQL just because you just want to use GraphQL. It's better to use something that is stable, is evolvable, if you want to uh, be evolvable enough, REST. Uh, and REST, in a way, comes at the package with OData. Uh, we want it or not, we need to f- also filter the data that we're receiving. We might work with huge amount of data that we need to, not only to page, but also to filter. Uh, and then OData comes very handy for this uh, specific job. GraphQL, I'm speaking about GraphQL. I really enjoy GraphQL, but you would need to have the specific case. It's very powerful if you have the proper case for for it. What are those cases uh, that you feel like would be better for GraphQL as opposed to using like a REST endpoint? For example, if you do not own the client or you have several consumers for your API and you have no way of telling which of the fields that you're returning are actually used in the client apps or in the consumers, then it's a proper case. But if you also own the client app and the API and you say, hey, I'm going to use the GraphQL, that might not be a proper proper case because you can talk with your team. You can say, hey, I need an extra field or I need to remove two fields from the response body and so on. GraphQL is very friendly with the, the mobile apps, for example. And let's face it, if you're a European traveling to to uh, to the U.S., uh, data matters because it's expensive <laughs> in there. <laughs> also, you need to take care of your consumers and to think at your consumers. That brings up an interesting point. 
a lot of the applications that I've worked on and, and started developing APIs for them, they're effectively back-end for front-end APIs that uh, other organizations, other other teams, other applications might say, oh, I need an endpoint that does something like that. Can we just use your endpoint? Thinking that, oh, this is a generic API over a, over the database, right? But we have different needs for the shape of the data that we're returning. They have slightly different needs for the shape of the data that they're returning, thinking that they can call a common endpoint. Is there a generic API over top of a database that is that all-consuming application that that can manage and and be utilized by a number of different applications? Or do you find it depends on the the needs of the applications? Is it better to have a back-end for front-end? How do you maintain that complexity? To be honest, um, this this complexity can be easily maintained in REST with the REST API uh, by using custom media types. If you have, I don't know, three clients with specific needs, you can create one endpoint if you are talking about the same resource. Okay. I I don't know. You're returning transactions and you have three different consumers of that transaction, each one with their needs. You can add in the header and uh, uh, accept or content type if you send something back, a specific media type. And on the server side in the API, you'll be able to tell, hey, this is a specific consumer. I will return the specific uh, DTO, let's say, specific response. And this way you can tweak and customize uh, that genericity uh, that we're talking about. And I do not really think that doing something that is so generic that it fits every business need uh, is, is good enough because you'll end up with data that is transferred over the wire and not used. Yeah, and, and that's a potential security concern. It's also a potential cost concern because exactly. as, as our endpoints grow and the, the needs grow and, and change amongst the consumers, we're starting to ship more data than, than is required. And especially if, if we have mobile consumers on limited data plans, for instance, then that can start to chew up some of their, their cost. Yep. And um, as you said, uh, security issues, exposing something and sending data over the the wire to a different customer that shouldn't be there. And you need to trim your uh, responses with only the things uh, that are used by the client. Yeah, I was going to say the closer you get to that fully generic solution, the closer you get to just exposing port 3306. Just here, have my database. (laughs) So among the, the security concerns, of course, we're, we're always looking to make sure that we secure our endpoints, we provide some kind of mechanism that uh, we are ensuring that the client has access to our data, that they are both authenticated and uh, have authorization to perform the action that they're, they're performing. Is there more to it than that? Is it just uh, verifying JOT tokens or verifying identity or something like that? Or, or what more do we need to, to be doing to ensure that our applications and our APIs specifically are secure? I'm not an, uh, an expert around the security part, but at least we should uh, take the JVT token and revalidate that from the server side. I mean, it's my opinion. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of paranoia. <laughs> related to the security and the, the API. Of course, it depends on the business domain that you have. If you, I don't know, exposing cat 
pictures. Uh, <laughs> maybe you don't need that much security, but if you're working with sensitive data and the governance, uh, it needs to be in its place just to make sure that nobody uh, will access something that it's not supposed to access. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that that includes uh, logging and audit trails and, and um, metrics collection to make sure that our applications are performing well as well, correct? True. But I also uh, noticed recently that a lot of people are confusing logging with tracing. Mm. Um, I had a, a client, uh, a project, where they had many old apps and they had centralized logging. And centralized logging meant that they wrote pretty much everything from any every other app that they have in the same table in the same database. Wonder what performance was there (laughs) (laughs) because they also uh, did tracing in the same uh, table. Something like, hey, I entered here. I did that. I finished this. I'm going to enter that. So for Absolutely. I don't know. For every request, they had about 20 calls database just to log things that are not useful. If we're doing logging, I I enjoy packages like serial log that you can define the level with which you're logging. Uh, I enjoy utilizing things like application insights that can start collecting some metrics and showing us trending data so that we're not collecting every every hit point every method call and then doing our own analysis against that i want to leverage the the functionality that that's built with these other packages available to us and nobody thinks that these things like writing another line of code near the other line of code hurts performance and i also love analog it's cool that you can configure to log in to different places at once the simple configuration is just mesmerizing so uh before we wrap up is there anything else that we should talk about as far as rest goes is there anything that we haven't covered that a um, a developer working with a rest uh, api or building a rest api should know um nothing crosses my mind but i have a tons of articles that uh, i will publish i will publish they're in drafts um, <laughs> around REST API uh, and REST API in .NET. What can I say? I think as a developer, you should think about the person or the consumer of your API and bear in mind that that person might not know your business mm-hmm. or your code and then have an open heart and think <laughs> about other people. <laughs> That kind of leads uh, right right into um, what resources uh, can you point listeners to uh, who are kind of getting started with REST or just work trying to make sure that their own REST endpoints that they're developing are sort of meeting those uh, best practices that, that, that we've sort of talked about. Yeah, so there is my blog and also there is uh, a book that I can recommend uh, if people like reading RESTful Web APIs. It's from uh, O'Reilly. And what can I recommend is to read everything <laughs> <laughs> that they encounter. Be curious. And also, uh, there are a lot of uh, great presentations around uh, REST, not only in .NET, but around REST on, on YouTube from different conferences. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their careers? Um, I was lucky enough at a certain point to have people to guide me. I had 
uh, mentors or people that were uh, willing to to uh, d- direct me into different I don't know books, uh, tutorials, and so on. Um, but when I got older, uh, I started to spend some time after work to read more or uh, to set my milestones. For example, certifications. Uh, I took uh, Azure certifications just because I wanted to to learn something new, and I set that as milestone. Uh, to me, it was very helpful because uh, somehow what I wanted to achieve to learn had an uh, upper goal that I had to to reach. Um, books, presentations, pretty much when you have time, read everything that you you find around around you, and for sure it will pay off. I mean, you'll advance faster than others in your career. You have a wider experience. Uh, and you shouldn't limit yourself only on the project you're working. And also, I started teaching and started going to meet meetups. Uh-huh. Um, and I started to, <laughs> to see that, well, when you're explaining others, you're, you start to understand better uh-huh. <laughs> some concepts. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very useful. And nobody b- believes this. Uh, nobody be- believed me, but uh, but it's true. When you start explaining something to someone, you'll understand that concept better because you put yourself in, in, a, in a different uh, position. So we have a question in chat uh, that says, uh, do you think uh, college education matters in software dev? I, I won't go and say it doesn't matter. It does, but not that much. Uh, I've seen a lot of people that are just turning to development from totally different backgrounds. I don't know, arts, uh, theology. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't believe that those people would be great programmers, but they are because they have the courage and the drive to simply go and learn something new. And they have the the willingness to learn. Yeah, I uh, so I don't have a degree uh, as one of those individuals, uh, I did go to some college. I, I actually at nearly got an aerospace engineering degree, uh, which is another direction that then dropped out of that, uh, for, for, for various reasons. And then I started going to school because I was sort of impressed that I needed to get a college education in order to get a de- development job. And I wanted to sort of switch directions and started into the development Again, had life change, life circumstances that made me have to stop that as well. Um, and then, um, but I, I nonetheless had, I had spent a lot of time um, sort of continuing to self-teach and investigate computers and understand them. And I was, um, you know, just completely blown away with what the internet was and how, you know, how it worked and trying to figure out and understand. So, um, yeah, I, I, along the way, I ended up like starting my own businesses and uh, hanging out, continuing hanging out with people who were still in college, going through them. In fact, they were coming to me with their homework questions, trying, and I would help them with their own homework in the classes that I wasn't taking. Um, and we would work together and figure out the the answers. But it was like they ended up being the references that got me into a career. And now I'm that I'm in the career, no one cares, right? That 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 college was there. But it it was a lot of footwork and a lot of effort uh, for me to stay relevant and keep keep pushing. And then once I got into the door, I had to like really push really hard to make sure that I was way behind on a lot of different things. So I had to, uh, you know, John Callow is one of the big mentors in my in my development. And I just was like, grilled him every day on like what 
what more information can I learn? And I was busy like watching Plural Side as much as I could, just absorbing as much information. So it's definitely possible out there. But I think your response is really uh, pretty good at, as far as it's, it does help, but it, it isn't necessary. I mean, another thing that I have to confess when I graduated the faculty, I didn't know what uh, what are the roles in the IT world, what a business analyst does or a QA. And I just ended up applying for jobs randomly, uh, even for QA jobs. <laughs> Thanks God I didn't got those. Um, <laughs> but me and a lot of colleagues didn't know what IT is about at that time. But we, we randomly, I don't know, kind of chose careers just because, I don't know, the fate brought us there. <laughs> I knew I wanted to program, but not specifically in what or. Um, and I've seen people that are, are, are brilliant because they simply want to uh, want to learn each and every day and they're uh, progressing every day remarkably. Very cool. Yeah, I I feel like. So I, I have a degree, but it's for networking and security, so not not programming. While that degree may have helped me get a foot in the door somewhere, I feel like not having a programming degree helped me far more than if I had had one because I've always felt like I didn't know enough. There was stuff that I missed because I didn't go to college. Mm. And so very early on in my career, all the way up until uh, you know now, I work very hard to make up for the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> that, that's actually pretty interesting and i i think it's it is that that might be telling as to why so many of the people we interview actually enter this industry from very different perspectives because they're coming in and they, they're extra motivated because they're like i'm behind everyone else and they're the ones who are highly motivated and then they end up being jumping in front of everyone because of that but the seniors developers yeah. with degrees yeah. they say hey I'm good. No, no, yeah. I don't have to learn. <laughs> exactly. It's fine where I am. <laughs> yeah, and it's a pity <laughs> if you ask me. So where can our listeners uh, go to follow you and just sort of keep up with all that you're working on? Well, uh, I have my blog, irina.codes. And also, uh, if you go there, you can find my Twitter and LinkedIn profile, irina-scortu. Uh, I'm there. My DMs are open. so. If you want to learn more about REST APIs or you have questions, do not hesitate. Awesome. Thank you. Well, all right, Irina. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. That was Irina Skutu. Irina is a software architect, a Microsoft MVP, and .NET Group community lead at Indava. She's also a Microsoft certified trainer and founder of .NET Days Romania. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at SixFigureDev.com. Be sure to catch us live each week on Twitch and follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 